Joe Biden is obviously from Delaware. Did Joe Biden create the system? Did Joe Biden support the system? And, you know, he didn't create the system. He has not directly himself been involved in defending the system explicitly in the Senate or as president. But I would say that through his political career, his style exemplifies the system. He's been funded by the system. His voting record reflects the system. So he's very much a creature of this Delaware franchise. So in terms of his style, for example, Biden's known for his belief in bipartisanship, the deal making. That's a very Delaware type thing. They call it the Delaware way. He, in terms of his, uh, his funding, he's certainly a creature of the system. So through his 36 years in the Senate, his donors were all the big law firms that benefit from the system. And then, as you say, in terms of voting, he has been very, very, he was very prominent as a senator in efforts on around bankruptcy, for example, making it harder for people struggling with student loans to file for bankruptcy. Ironically, because now, of course, the administration is trying to combat the student loan problem. But in many ways, that was aided by the bankruptcy rules around credit cards and around student loans. And the reason that he did that was because he had in one ear the credit card companies. Four out of the five big credit card companies are based in Delaware. And Joe Biden's political career has often been to act in defense of those credit card companies and to act in their interests, for example, by making it harder for people to file for personal bankruptcy. It's the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Stand up, stand up. You've been sitting way too long. Welcome to the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. My name is Steve Scrovan, along with my guest co-host, Hannah Feldman. David is off this week. Hello, Hannah. Hello, Steve. Welcome aboard. And we're also going to welcome aboard the man of the hour, Ralph Nader. Hello, Ralph. Hi. This show is one you'll never forget. If you just hang in there for the whole interview with Hal Weitzman. You are correct, Ralph. In 2021, there were over 1.8 million legal entities incorporated in the state of Delaware. Meanwhile, Delaware's human population barely cleared 1 million. More than 60% of all Fortune 500 companies, quote unquote, live in Delaware, along with small companies from all over the country and countless shell corporations that protect the wealth of oligarchs, money launderers, and the uber-rich. How did Delaware end up with more registered businesses than registered voters? We'll ask today's guest, Hal Weitzman, the author of What's the Matter with Delaware? How the First State Has Favored the Rich, Powerful, and Criminal, and How It Costs Us All. As always, somewhere along the line, we'll check in with our corporate crime reporter, Russell Mokhyber, but first, how did Delaware become the Mid-Atlantic's answer to the Cayman Islands? Hannah? Hal Weitzman is Executive Director for Intellectual Capital at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and Editor-in-Chief of Chicago Booth Review. A former Financial Times Editor and Foreign Correspondent, he is the author of Latin Lessons, How South America Stopped Listening to the United States and Started Prospering, and What's the Matter with Delaware? How the first state has favored the rich, powerful, and criminal, and how it costs us all. Welcome to the Ralph Nader Radio Hour, Hal Weitzman. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, welcome, Hal. And for people who want to know what first state refers to, it refers to the first state that ratified our Constitution after the convention in 1787, which was Delaware. This is an extraordinary book, listeners. I want you to hang in with us. Try to absorb the enormity of what Delaware corporate law means to you and to the country and to the world as a haven for corporations. I'll try to be as clear as I can and hope to be as clear as Hal Weitzman is in his book. And just to start it off, he draws the analogy of you borrowing a book in a library. And he said, in Delaware, getting a library card requires you to produce a photo ID and proof of address. In Delaware, you can officially establish a business or a corporation without proof of your identity, address, or phone number, and you don't need to turn up in person to do so. 
I'm quoting continually from his book, quote, picking up a library card may not allow you to do anything much more nefarious than illegally copying the CD, but corporate names have been used for much more devastating ends, money laundering, financing terrorism, both international and domestic, buying elections, busting sanctions, acquiring weapons of mass destruction, bribery, corruption, and kleptocracy, end quote, by the mechanisms permitted with the hundreds of thousands of corporations registered in Delaware, not to mention LLCs, which we'll talk about in a moment. So let me ask you the first question. Why did you, out of the University of Chicago School of Business, decide to write this book? Well, I mean, Delaware has always been something that's been on my radar. It seemed to me as a corporate reporter based in Chicago for the Financial Times that all roads led to Delaware. Delaware, as I later discovered, was kind of the corporate version of the Office of Births, Marriages and Death, the registrar. And so it was for corporate life events when companies were born, if you'll excuse the metaphor, they were born frequently in Delaware. When they, you know, merged or when they had disputes, they went to Delaware. And when they went into bankruptcy, they also went to Delaware. And so the question I always had was, why Delaware? And the more that I dug into that question after I was a reporter and came to the University of Chicago, the more interesting and murky uh, it became. Well, when I was at Harvard Law School in my corporation class, I began to notice that one case after another that we discussed under the auspices of our dear professor was a Delaware case, Chancery Court. So one day, someone in the class raised his hand and said, Professor, why are we focusing so much on cases decided in little Delaware instead of New York or California or Massachusetts? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, because there's a much more intensive development of corporate law in Delaware, period. Not a single comment on the thesis of your book, which is it is a corporate haven for all kinds of shenanigans from people in this country and around the world. So let's ask you this question. How easy and fast is it to start a corporation, register or incorporate? a corporation in the state of Delaware, especially if you're willing to pay a little higher registration fee. Right. Well, you you talked about some of it in the part that you quoted. We could set up an LLC in Delaware by the end of this recording, and we wouldn't need to go to Delaware. We don't need to show any documentation. But it's actually even even easier than you suggested, because we can, if we pay the fee, we can get it done in officially in 30 minutes. In fact, since I wrote this book, people have told me if you make the right phone calls, you can get it done in as few as 10 minutes. A lot of these LLCs, limited liability companies that find their way into creation in Delaware are shell corporations like Donald Trump's business. He has 500 of these shell corporations you point out in the book. Describe the difference between the LLCs and normal corporations in the law of Delaware. Well, an LLC is a lightly regulated company structure, limited liability company. I mean, limited liability is kind of the underpinning of all business. And limited liability company, the way that we've structured it in the United States, means that the corporate governance and the reporting is either very light or non-existent. So it's a very useful vehicle for all sorts of business activity. Now, of course, 99.9% or more of the LLCs that are formed are perfectly lawful. And they're doing, you know, all sorts of legitimate business, of course. But the fact that one is able to set up an anonymous LLC has also enabled it to be used by all sorts of nefarious actors, as you mentioned. And you you also didn't mention there are in that passage, perhaps I mentioned those cases of kleptocracy, which make it sound like it's foreign actors, but there are a lot of US actors using it for, you know, activities like smuggling, trafficking of arms and and drugs, and child sex trafficking, too, has used Delaware LLCs. So it's a light structure. So think about it this way. There are corporations, you know, the sort of Amazons and the Googles, and they have 
a significant amount of reporting to do. They have to issue quarterly reports to shareholders and to the SEC. And there's some transparency there that is required. With LLCs, there's no transparency required. There's not even any transparency required of who the owners are. To the extent that when I was researching this book, I had a last minute panic and contacted the Delaware Secretary of State's office to ask what proportion of the LLCs formed in Delaware every year, which is a vast number, what proportion of those companies are owned by US residents and what proportion are operated and owned, controlled by non-US residents? And they told me, we don't know. And there is no way of knowing. Because they have this don't ask, don't tell system where there is no question on the form saying, where are you based? Who are the real owners? None of that is required. So it doesn't take a big leap of imagination to see how that can be used by nefarious actors. One final wrinkle. I told you, you asked originally, how easy is it? And I said, one of the things that makes it extra easy is you can do it in 30 minutes or maybe as few as 10 minutes. But here's another wrinkle. The office stays open until midnight for registrations. So we could set up a company at 11.30 and still have it completed and established by the end of the day. So you have the ability to set up an anonymous company, no documentation, verification required. I don't have to go to Delaware and I can set it up within 30 minutes in the middle of the night. Now, what kind of people want to use that sort of service? Well, before we get into what it means for Delaware state revenue, which is an incentive for what they're doing here, on page 93 of your book, you basically say, the result is it's easier to set up a corporation in Delaware than in many places around the world that we think of as tax havens or homes for dirty money. Traditionally, for example, an international money launderer, by the way, big banks have been international money launderers, international money launderer looking for a new location to set up a shell company might consider several locations to form the business and start laundering cash, like Belize, the Cayman Islands, Panama, Bermuda, or the United States. Until very recently, and we'll get around to a new law that Congress passed, the one that required the least documentation, you write, was the United States, meaning the state of Delaware. Now, all these fees that pour into Delaware from all these companies, like the big New York banks, they have hundreds of shell corporations in places like Delaware and the Cayman Islands and so on. What do they make up in terms of the state revenue? If you take all the the fees and registrations, right, every time somebody registered a company, they have to pay a fee, and then they have to pay an annual fee to keep it in good standing. So all those fees, which is a tiny they're not large fees because for most LLCs, which is the vast majority of the companies there, that's a few hundred dollars. For the bigger companies, that's a, it could go up to a few hundred thousand dollars, but for a big in public company, that's nothing. So if you take all those relatively small fees in large volume, then there are fewer than a, about a million residents of Delaware, this, the entire state, but there are 1.8 million companies. So if you take all those 1.8 million companies and all the fees, plus all the associated revenue, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about it, but here's one example of associated revenue is abandoned property. That means if you buy a gift card for someone and that gift card is for a company, is for a retailer that is based in Delaware, at least legally based in Delaware, like Home Depot used to be. So if you gave someone a gift card and you didn't spend all the money on that gift card, let's imagine you only spent $7 out of $10 on the gift card, then that remaining $3 would eventually revert to Delaware. Or if you have if you have a, a brokerage account and the financial institution is based in Delaware, which many are, and you left a few cents in the brokerage account or a couple of dollars there, then that money would eventually revert to the state of Delaware. And now that sounds like you might think, how much money could that be? It actually adds up to half a billion dollars a year. So that's a significant amount of revenue, plus all the revenue that comes from bankruptcy court, which is also an adjunct business to, to the main fees and everything else that goes into what's called the franchise. So take all that revenue, right? The, so the revenue from fees plus all the associated revenue, it adds up to about 40% of Delaware's state revenues. 40%. 40%. Delaware has no sales tax. So 40%. So that's the Delaware, incentive. 
Delaware has no sales no. tax. It also has generally low taxes. They call it blue spending state with red taxes. So every politician's dream, big spending, low taxes, they've achieved that. And the way they've achieved that is by diverting tax revenue from elsewhere and taking in these vast numbers of relatively small corporate fees. So it's a pile them high, sell them cheap type business, as opposed to other states which have depended on corporate income tax. And corporate income tax receipts have completely collapsed over the past 50 years because companies have increasingly found ways to avoid paying tax in their home states. And one of the ways they've avoided that is by funneling money through holding companies in Delaware. As you say in your book, shell companies are hollow. There's nothing underneath the name and the legal entity. Shell corporations have no real employees, no offices, no significant assets or operations. They exist on paper only. Now, before we get to Delaware Joe Biden and how he grew out of this corporate context in his political career, the state of Delaware, the major law firms, the legislature, and the state secretary of state over the years have created a very powerful embrace to make sure that Delaware stays number one in terms of a, a haven for these kinds of corporations and in terms of making sure that the federal government interferes the least, especially if they start talking about a federal corporation charter for big corporations, the way Senator Elizabeth Warren alluded to once. So why don't we start with how the law is created it doesn't start with the legislature, your book says. It starts with an organization called the Corporation Law Council in Delaware. Tell us about it. Absolutely. Well, the, the Corporation Law Council is a committee of the Delaware Bar. It contains 26 serving lawyers, lawyers who are still working and appearing in court. And they come from the top firms in Delaware. And so it's a small, tightly knit group. Every year, that group gets together and decides on a set of proposals to update the Delaware Corporate Code. Now, the Delaware Corporate Code, as you talked about from your Harvard Law School days, that is the corporate code for the United States. The reason you were learning about Delaware is because that's effectively U.S. corporate law. And so the proposals that, they, that they're going to put forward are effectively proposals that will pertain to the, the entire United States. And so the changes that they're proposing are highly significant. What happens to those changes? They go to the Delaware legislature. Now, the Delaware legislature is full of part-time legislators paid about $45,000 a year. They are almost all of them are not lawyers, have no experience in, in corporate law, and are not well-placed to judge these usually pretty arcane changes to the law. And the Corporation Council doesn't come to the chamber and explain why these changes are needed. Um, there's no rationale given. And so usually what happens is they're rubber stamped, and then they go to the governor's office and the governor also rubber stamps them. And so the, effectively, the lawyers write their own rules. And these are the lawyers who are appearing in the chancery court, the business court, effectively, in the state of Delaware that decides all the big cases. And the same lawyers who appear in that court are the ones who write the rules. All right. So that's the system. And there's a story I tell in the book about one of the Delaware legislators who put forward a proposal for a bill of his own to change the corporate code. And when this proposal appeared before the Judiciary Committee, the head of the Judiciary Committee said to him, are you proposing this or, or has it gone through the process? He said, the process? What process are you talking about? She said, has it come from this corporation council? Or are you proposing it yourself? He said, no, no, I'm proposing it. And she said, no, 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 you can't do that. All the changes to the corporate code had to come from the Corporation Council. In other words, you, an elected lawmaker, have no right to make law. Only in the unelected lawyers have the right to change the corporate code, which, as I say, is the corporate code for the United States and effectively for much of the world as well, because there are a lot of non-US corporations that are registered in Delaware as well. So it's a system that has, the way they put it among lawyers is they have bypassed political uncertainty. So we know that you know lawyers and investors and corporations hate political uncertainty because it might affect their profit-making process. And in Delaware, they've perfected that system. They have completely bypassed any political uncertainty and therefore also bypassed 
any oversight or regulation. Now, this skeptical lawmaker in the Delaware legislature, was his name John Kowalka? Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> that's right. And he's still at it? He's still raising these impertinent questions and getting rolled over? No, he's not, unfortunately. So John Kowalko is retired. This is the guy who styled himself the Bernie Sanders of Delaware, a former union leader who was elected to the Delaware legislature and for many years was a maverick who challenged all sorts of kind of cozy arrangements that had been going on in Delaware. He has taken a well-deserved retirement. There's a whole load of new legislators, liberal legislators who have come in, but very few yet have the knowledge of this somewhat complicated system and are engaged with it in the same way. As you can imagine, Delaware, mm -hmm. like many other states following the pandemic, has its own social and environmental political problems. And this is not high up on most people's agenda. So that's the challenge. Uh, yeah, I used to say DuPont dominated Delaware so much, as we pointed out in our book, Corporate State, many years ago. And GM is one of the many companies chartered in Delaware. I said GM could buy Delaware in a weekend if DuPont was willing to sell it. Now, as our listeners may begin to wonder, what's that got to do with us? Well, hold your horses, listeners. As Hal Weitzman says in his book, What's the Matter with Delaware? How the First State Has Favored the Rich, Powerful, and Criminal, How It Costs Us All. He says, quote, even if you've never been there, you probably have many connections to Delaware. Most of us do. Delaware is inescapable. Delaware is everywhere. Quote, and can you turn to page 14 and read the examples that you give as how it affects people's daily lives all over the country? And just read it until it ends with Delaware's public coffers. Okay. If you bought this book or anything else on Amazon, you're giving money to a corporation registered in Delaware. If you used Google to find out about the book, you used a service run by a company incorporated in Delaware, as is its parent company, Alphabet. Perhaps you prefer shopping in real stores, so you went to Walmart. That, too, is incorporated in Delaware. If you're more upscale and went to Whole Foods, it's owned by Amazon, so that takes you back to Delaware. If you use the credit card to make your purchase, your credit card issuer may very well be incorporated in Delaware. If you got there in an Uber, you were generating revenue for a Delaware company. You may well be on Facebook or Twitter, which are also Delaware corporations. Of course, I should interject that Twitter, since the publication of this book, has been taken private by Elon Musk, of course. Back to the book. If you've saved money in a retirement account, like half of all working Americans, your funds are very likely invested in a range of companies incorporated in Delaware. If you have a student loan, your lender may well be a Delaware corporation. If you have a brokerage account to buy stocks, both your broker and most of the companies whose stocks you're buying are likely incorporated in Delaware. Even if you just have a bank account, there's a good chance your bank is incorporated in Delaware. If you've ever given money to a US presidential campaign or a political action committee, it might well have been registered in Delaware. If you've ever bought anyone a gift card and they failed to spend all of it, you may have inadvertently paid into Delaware's public coffers. Now, some listeners may say, okay, Hal Weitzman, so what? What does that mean to us? And you answer it on page 19 briefly and then elaborate it. You say, quote, but Delaware's influence on U.S. corporate life is immense. Its corporate code is the United States corporate code. It has effectively set the rules on how much interest credit card companies can charge their customers. It has helped companies and wealthy individuals avoid paying taxes, harming the public finances of other U.S. states. It has shielded the illicit and unethical use of corporate entities. If you care about tax dodging, if you care about how corporations behave and how to hold them accountable, if you care about regulating the financial sector, if you care about secret funding that flows into U.S. political campaigns, if you're just curious about what happens to the economy on gift cards when the cards themselves get lost down the back of the sofa and the money's never spent, you should care about Delaware, end quote. So let's talk about Joe Biden and the credit card companies and what went on as described in your book. Sure. Well, so I often get asked, Joe Biden is obviously from Delaware. Did Joe Biden create the system? Did Joe Biden support the system? And, you know, he didn't create the system. He has not directly himself been involved in defending the system 
explicitly in the Senate or as president. But I would say that through his political career, his style exemplifies the system. He's been funded by the system. His voting record reflects the system. So he's very much a creature of this Delaware franchise. So in terms of his style, for example, Biden's known for his belief in bipartisanship, the deal making. That's a very Delaware type thing. They call it the Delaware way. He, in terms of his, uh, his funding, he's certainly a creature of the system. So through his 36 years in the Senate, his donors were all the big law firms that benefit from the system. And then, as you say, in terms of voting, he has been very, very, he was very prominent as a senator in efforts on around bankruptcy, for example, making it harder for people struggling with student loans to file for bankruptcy. Ironically, because now, of course, the administration is trying to combat the student loan problem. But in many ways, that was aided by the bankruptcy rules around credit cards and around student loans. And the reason that he did that was because he had in one ear the credit card companies. Four out of the five big credit card lenders are based in Delaware. And we can talk about how they ended up there, but they have, are hugely important for the state. By the way, the fifth one that isn't is American Express. But the other four are all there. So if you look at your credit card, you may have wondered, why is my company incorporated? Why do I get this mail from Delaware? Well, why is my bill coming from Delaware? It's because the big credit card lenders were lured there in the 1980s. How were they lured there? Essentially, because Delaware got rid of the caps that they used to have on interest rates. So when in previously, various states said we'll have caps on interest rates. And Delaware was one of the first states to say, we'll get rid of the caps. You can charge whatever interest you want. And that is the system that still exists today. How high can these interest rates go on rollover payday loans, for example? So in theory, there is no limit, Ralph, to the amount of interest that companies can charge. Of course, they don't charge a thousand percent interest like a loan shark would because then they would get clamped down on by Congress. But there is nothing in law stopping rates being as high as a company would want to set them. So what I was going to say is any attempts that have been made to put caps at the state level elsewhere, you know, if you're in Massachusetts and you want to cap the interest rate, you cannot do it because the company is registered in Delaware and Delaware law applies. So that's why four out of the five big credit card companies are based in Delaware. And Joe Biden's political career has often been to act in defense of those credit card companies and to act in their interest, for example, by making it harder for people to file for personal bankruptcy. And companies like Visa, MasterCard, other big credit card companies, they are now charging over 20% interest for unpaid monthly balances by credit card consumer holders, over 20%. And sometimes it goes to 30% because there's no cap, as you put it. Tell us briefly about Stephen Colbert's discovery when he learned about what could go on and he put his toe into a presidential election campaign. Yes. Stephen Colbert, of course, we know from his current role on The Late Show. But before then, you'll remember he was a character called Stephen Colbert. He was a somewhat obnoxious, right-wing, fictitious TV host, but with the same name, Stephen Colbert. And in that character, I think he had a bid to become president himself, but he set up a shell corporation. And the shell corporation was set up in order to raise money for his political campaign. And it was a joke, right? But it revealed how little he had to do in order to set it up. He didn't have to supply any information. He didn't have to go to Delaware. It didn't need to be verified. And it could all be done very quickly. And so this was a device to kind of demonstrate how easy it was to set up a corporation that could receive anonymous donations and was itself anonymous. But there's a serious point there, which is so much of our politics is connected through Delaware right and left. So AOC had political action committees registered in Delaware, as did Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and many, many other politicians. And these organizations can receive anonymous donations. Or for example, one political action committee registered in Delaware can receive donations from an LLC, which can itself be anonymous. 
So when Citizens United decision came down, a lot of people threw their hands up in despair and said, now corporations can give unlimited donations to political campaigns. You know, what, what can we do about it? This is nothing we can do. Well, there is some transparency there because political action committees do actually have to report the identity of their donors. But if the donor is an anonymous LLC, all they have to report is Acme LLC gave us you know, donation of $500,000. I don't know who is behind Acme LLC, so the, the anonymity of the corporate system feeds into a kind of dark money funnel through the political system as well. So the anonymity isn't just a corporate problem, it's a political problem too that infects our politics, and it means that voters really don't know who's behind political campaigns. And why don't you tell us the net result of this corporate government in Delaware of anonymity of secrecy, and of complexity. Isn't that the formula? Yes, I think you've hit it. You've described it well. The complexity part is that I can have an LLC that is owned by another LLC. This is, I mean, it's not just contained in Delaware. Sometimes people who defend Delaware will say to me, well, it's not just Delaware. And that's right. They're right. It's not just Delaware. If I put Delaware together with the Cayman Islands and Cyprus and the Republic of Ireland, I'm able to construct a web, an international web of corporate ownership that is incredibly hard to penetrate. And I can use that to avoid taxes or to do all sorts of nefarious activities. And so Delaware is part of a bigger story, which is the international story of criminality, kleptocracy, and tax avoidance, which you know has kind of really poisoned our political mm -hmm. system. And it is to some credit to, to this administration that they've recognized the damaging effect of corporate tax evasion and avoidance on our political system. But it's very, very hard to do anything about it. And, you know, even the attempt to set a minimum corporate tax rate for the world, which Janet Yellen spearheaded, has been very, very hard to implement. Delaware is part of that system. It's not the be all and end all, but it's the American version of that international system that helps companies avoid paying their fair share. But Delaware's race to the bottom also affects other states who want to compete with the race to the bottom, like South Dakota on credit cards and states and Wyoming and Nevada. So the epidemic, so to speak, is spreading to other states who are sniffing the revenues from these fees and are trying to attract the same kind of nefarious activity that are now so solidly lodged in Delaware. Well, there is a little light at the end of the tunnel that you talk about. The government passed the Corporate Transparency Act, which was passed during the Trump administration, of all things. And it goes into effect this year. Can you describe its impact and how it's going to affect Delaware and the people of this country? which just shows you how this really should be a bipartisan issue. Because, you know, I'll give, to give you one example we can disagree about U.S. foreign policy, but if our foreign policy, for example, is to clamp down on the international finances of Russian oligarchs, whether you think that's a good idea or not, if we want to be able to do that, we have to know what companies they operate. And if we don't know that, when we won't be able to affect foreign policy at all. So it just gives you, it's one small example of how actually this could be a bipartisan issue. You talked about the Corporate Transparency Act. This is an attempt to, for the first time, to set up a registry of owners of US companies, right? So we've never had that before in the United States. In the UK, my home country, for many, many years, there's been a registry at Companies House, freely searchable. Anybody can go. Now, it's not perfect. You might find a company that claims to be operated by Mickey Mouse, but at least it's searchable. There is documentation there to go through. And where there are holes, you know, it's clear that there are holes. In the United States, we don't even have that information because nobody has collected it. So this is very significant in that for the first time, we will ask people to supply information about the owner who owns the companies that are registered in the United States. However, if you'll indulge me, I think there's a lot of big loopholes here that do not make me very optimistic that this is going to be very successful. So for one thing, this is a private registry, so it will only be viewable to the U.S. Treasury. You and I won't be able to search this information. And as I say, that compares not favorably with registries set up elsewhere. 
So we're depending then on a very small government department, FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Unit of the Treasury, which has currently 300 people, and we'll have another 100 people. So we'll have 400 employees going through tens of millions of documents, which is what is going to come in from all the companies registered around the United States. And so I'm not at all confident that that unit will have the resources. And by the way, I don't think they're particularly confident either, if I can say that, uh, that they'll have the resources to verify this information. So you may get a repeat of the Mickey Mouse phenomenon that I talked about in the UK. The other thing is just this is setting up a huge burden on small businesses, which is why they oppose this legislation, because, you know, currently you register a company in, let's say, in Delaware. And then you'll have to re-register the same company with the federal government. So you might ask, and when you ask transparency campaigners, what is the best way of doing it? They'll say, just ask the people who the owners are at the point of registration, right? If we set up a company, the obvious question is, who's operating the company? Who's behind it? You know, you don't ask somebody then to send a separate set of documents somewhere else. That would be like us flying on a flight and then two weeks later having to send in a photocopy of our passport or driver's license. That doesn't make any sense at all. We should check them at the same time. So why aren't we checking them at the same time? Well, because Delaware doesn't want to ask its registering agents to collect and verify that information. It wanted to get rid of that responsibility. So it shoved it off to this federal government, which means that every company in the United States will have to file double the paperwork because of Delaware. So not only does this Delaware problem carry on and is now amplified for every company in the United States, but there is a, a gap that's set up there because you have a month between registering in Delaware and registering with the federal government. And who knows what can happen in that month? All sorts of nefarious activity could take place, and then you could effectively leave and abandon the company. So I'm not at all optimistic that the way that we've set this up, this weird bifurcated system designed to accommodate Delaware and its preferences will be very successful. So it's a step forward, but it's a very hesitant and perhaps faltering step forward. Well, at the end of your book, you have four recommendations just to get the process started. One is the U.S. government should make public its registry of corporate owners, as other countries do, the European Union, UK, Canada. The second is, as you point out, the U.S. Congress should close the loopholes of the Corporate Transparency Act. The third is the Delaware Corporation Law Council, that's the law creator for the legislature made up of corporate lawyers, should make its proceedings public and allow time for expert opinion to inform debate in the Delaware legislature. And the fourth is that this same Corporation Law Council should be expanded to include legal experts representing stakeholders other than shareholders who could begin a process of formalizing a wider, more objective set of management performance budgets that would update the business judgment rule with clear criteria relating to the wider impact of corporate decisions, end quote. Now, this is pretty modest stuff that you're recommending. I say that because back in the 1970s, we wanted to launch a national discussion of big corporations to replace Delaware and other states. And that was a proposal that was supported by President Teddy Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, Woodrow Wilson, as you point out in your book, and later by some senators, Senator O'Mahony from Wyoming in 1940, and so on. And the New York Times printed our entire proposal summary in a full page in 1976 on the bicentennial year for our country. And ever since then, there's been a sporadic article here and there about the federal incorporation proposal. Don't you see that as incorporating the essence of your recommendations and going further to recognize that global corporations and the corporate law of Delaware are totally antagonistic to any equitable rule of law in any democratic society? What's your position on that? That's a big question. So I think it's admirable that they published that and then you recommended it. And you're Ralph Nader. I'm just a humble, you know, academic in Chicago who apparently has no friends at the New York Times. 
I think it's an interesting proposal. I, you know, I, the reason why I, well, a couple of things. One is the reason I went modest rather than making huge proposals is I, I feel like for years I've been reading books that say, you know, that make sense. And then you get to the final chapter and it says, we need a global authority for, you know, peace and love. And yeah. in my, my conclusion is that that ain't going to happen. So I enjoyed the book, yeah. but I'm sort of left with nothing. So I want to do something that's very, there's really an extension of what's already happening. So for example, we're setting up this corporate registry it's private let's make it public you know we're, we're setting up this corporate registry let's not give exemptions to charities for example because charitable type organizations 501c3s etc can be used for non <laughs> non the benevolent ends let's put it that way so I, I wanted to extend things that were already happening. Would a federal incorporation law, in other words, you'd have to register all companies, you'd have to create them at the federal level, would it make sense? Perhaps. And the fact that we're setting up this registry might actually make that make even more sense than it ever has. Would it solve all the issues of tax evasion, complexity, lack of corporate governance, I'm not convinced that it would, <laughs> you know, which is why I didn't recommend it. Because to me, yeah. the issues are not just about where you locate the companies, because that process of control would then transfer to the federal level. And we know that congressmen and senators also don't read the legislation that they vote on and also don't really right. know what they're doing many, much of the time. So to me, it's not about that. It's about getting a little bit more oversight. So for example, as you quoted, and I say, and I talk about in the book, companies have been telling us for years that they care not just about their shareholders, but about their stakeholders, right? Which means the people who don't own them, but are affected by their decisions, employees, the environment, the general public. But those groups have no say whatsoever in how the corporate code is conducted and how in the standards and behaviors that we expect from our corporate leaders. And so to my mind, if you open that up, that opening up can be much more powerful than changing the location of where companies are registered. Well, in fairness to our proposal, we recommend a complete rewriting of the contract between government and corporations. So it wasn't just the point you made, it's to bring it up to the stage of globalization artificial intelligence, autonomous weapons, all these things that corporations are involved in, to rewrite the agreement between government, which creates corporations through charters and gives them all kinds of privileges and immunities and bring it up to date. Completely rearrangement of a agreement that is over 200 years old. Yeah, well, once again, you you know, I wasn't at all criticizing your proposals. I mean, you're Ralph Nader, so you propose Ralph Nader-type proposals, and I'm me, so mine are much yeah. more modest. But, uh, I mean, I also mm-hmm. wanted to start a conversation about things that are very achievable and easy yes. and quick. And you certainly have done that in this book. We're talking with Hal Weitzman, the author of What's the Matter with Delaware? How the First State has Favored the Rich, Powerful, and Criminal and how it costs us all. I couldn't help but compare Tom Frank's book, What's the Matter with Kansas, a few years ago, which was a bestseller about how rural Kansas voters vote for right-wing Republicans who turn against the interests of these rural Kansas voters. But when you write a book about uh, giant corporations and the evasions and immunities and impunities they acquire because they use Delaware corporate law, it is, shall we say, not widely reviewed or commented on. So here's my last recommendation. You really want a national conversation, and you properly say it should start in Congress. I couldn't agree more. How do you start the conversation in Congress? You have a University of Chicago Business School conference, which invites all the states that are very upset with how Delaware corporate law has pulled down or disengage the relevance of their corporate law and have the press come get educated and then reverberate it to members of Congress who are more amenable to get the ball rolling in our national legislature. What about that? 
I'm trying my best. I mean, I'm, this is a book that was that is intended to make things happen. So um, I wasn't just writing it. I mean, I'm a journalist, but so I was writing it partly because it's interesting, but also partly because I want things to change. So what can I tell you, Ralph? I'm trying my hardest. I appreciate you inviting me on the on the show to make put my points across. I know you're you obviously have a big platform, and you know we'll try and get the word out there together. And I think University of Chicago Business School, because, you know, it reflects a conservative view of business, the Department of Economics uh, over the years, the Chicago School of Economics, that would be a good place to start. It's not the only time that a university conference has started something rumbling to Washington. So I, I hope you'll consider it and talk about it with the people on the faculty and in, in the administration who could actually get it done. They couldn't start with a better book than what you have valiantly written. And I can't commend you high enough for it. Steve, question? Yes, Hal, it seems like Delaware is the island of misfit corporations. And if I'm a misfit corporation, why would I bother going to the Cayman Islands if I can go to Delaware? Is it just the weather? Well, so something ironically that's happened, I thought we were going to talk about earlier, is that the Caymans, Panama, Cyprus, all the traditional places that one would go to set up a shell corporation have had a lot of pressure put on them by big economic players like the UK, United States, European Union. And they have actually had to tighten up their rules to a certain extent because they cannot afford, they do not have the political power to stand up to those big players. Whereas the United States itself has kind of flown under the radar. I mean, even the UK has been under quite a lot of pressure because of the Russia-Ukraine issue to tidy up its act, but the United States much less so. In fact, my sense is that we talked a little about the Corporate Transparency Act. They have touted that as having solved the problem. Next year, we'll set up this registry and we'll see whether all corporate wrongdoing will suddenly disappear. I doubt it will. I doubt it will over the next 10 years. So perhaps it will have some effect at the margin, but I don't think it's going to be particularly significant. So ironically, I think one reason to be in Delaware is because it's not the Cayman Islands. So if you'll indulge me, I, just, I tell a story in the book about a journalist who went down to Panama in the 1980s on the trail of strongman Manuel Noriega's finances. Noriega had very complicated finances with real estate in Paris and all the rest of it. And so he was trying to work out what was actually going on. And this American investigative reporter met a partner from the firm, Mossack Fonseca, which you might remember provided the, not provided, the papers were leaked, Fonseca, that provided the Panama Papers. And so Ramon Fonseca, one half of this firm, went out for a meal with this American investigative reporter, told him all about how he helped people around the world hide their money in various exotic places. And so at the end of the conversation, this journalist said to Ramon Fonseca, you know, so interesting, you tell me about how you've helped people hide their money all around the world. May I ask you, where do you hide your money? And quick as a flash, Ramon Fonseca said, oh, in Delaware, they'll never find it there. So there is a huge attraction to being kind of less than exciting, less than exotic, and flying under the radar. And that's actually proved to be a huge strength for Delaware. And it's more stable and permanent. It's working under the U.S. Constitution. Hannah? I'm curious, how does one become a registered agent in Delaware? Is there a way to, you know, cut problem companies off at the knees by, you know, cutting them loose from their registered agents on the ground? You mean like a registering agent? In other words, an, an agent that has the power to create companies, right? That's what you mean, just so I understand. Uh, the Department of State refers to registered agents. So it's the person who theoretically is physically in Delaware. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but and, and so these are all sorts of different sizes, right? They they can there are large ones that call one of them famously calls itself Harvard Business Services, has nothing to do with Harvard where Ralph took his law school classes. But uh, of course, they enjoy that name. And there are other, some other big ones. And then there are sort of the equivalent of mom and pop shops. There are one of, you know, sort of a couple who run this out of their home. So it's the burden to become a register. I would call them registering agents because that's what they're actually doing. But registered agents, the hurdle is pretty low. Some of them have a couple of clients 
and they will just do those registrations every year. The bigger ones, of course, have hundreds of thousands of clients. So you've probably heard of there is a location in Wilmington, 1209 North Orange Street, that has hundreds of thousands of corporations registered there. And of course, it's a it's kind of a squat, boring orange building on a street in downtown Wilmington that you would walk by, but it has all these, you know, Coca-Cola's there and Amazon's there and Google's there. So they vary in in size a lot. And one thing that that Delaware has been very keen on is protecting them from any sort of extra burden. As I said, we are now setting up a whole new system based on not burdening these companies, these registering agents, with asking the question who actually is in charge of this company, who actually owns this company, and then seeing any kind of documentation verifying that. And I assume they're doing that because you know they don't want them to be held liable if anything goes wrong. Currently, they have this don't ask, don't tell policy, so nobody could be held liable because there's no information collected. And I talk in the book about law enforcement kind of going to Delaware and trying to find out information about companies that have been connected with international law illicit activities and they there's nothing to find there is no there's no there 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 is no information to find because they don't ask so it's easy to become an agent the agents are all different sizes and delaware is desperate to protect these agents from any kind of liability or oversight and so the idea of sort of it would be great to ask the agents to collect more information. That would have to come from the state of Delaware itself, because the federal government doesn't have any power over that. And the Delaware has been very, very protective of these agents and not asking them to collect anything. So that does not seem a very likely outcome. Well, before we close, I'm sure one of our Maverick listeners is going to ask this question of you. They're going to say, Hal Weitzman, Why doesn't somebody set up a business in downtown Wilmington, a big auditorium, lots of tables, and invite people from all over the country to incorporate themselves? In other words, if you can't beat these corporations, become a corporation yourself. So Jane Doe and John Smith can come and incorporate themselves in Delaware and take advantages of the Delaware Corporation. How would you answer that? It's already happening. I mean, there's a huge growth in so-called pass-through companies, right? For example, S-corporations. So there's been a huge growth in the number of people who have declared themselves corporations and funnel their income through that. Any kind of side hustle or Airbnb, you know, renting out properties, all of those have fueled a massive growth in the number of pass-through corporations, which enable people to pay lower taxes and to enjoy anonymity. So let me give you an example of that. In Chicago, where I am, there's a website called Block Shopper. And Block Shopper will list, type in the address of a property, and it will tell you who owns that property. So if you don't want to know, if you don't want people to know that you bought that property, you can set up an anonymous LLC and have the property owned by the anonymous LLC. And a lot of people do that because they don't want the publicity, particularly the more wealthy you know, if you if you run a hedge fund, you might not want people to know that you bought that property and how much you paid for it. So they can hide that information, at least the ownership information in an LLC. So there's been a massive growth in the number of LLCs that have been set up and S corporations and other corporate structures. That's what's fueled the Delaware phenomenon. So when you were there, Ralph, when you and your team wrote for the company state, this was a very small business. In the 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s, it's grown massively, and it continues to grow. There now, when I wrote the book, there were 1.6 million companies registered in Delaware. Last year, there were 1.8. Who knows? By now, there's probably 2 million companies registered in Delaware. It is growing all the time. That growth isn't coming from big corporations. People aren't setting up more Apples and Googles. What they're setting up is LLCs, often set up by one or two people for discrete projects or side hustles or whatever. So you ask, like, why don't we do it? They're already doing it through the state of Delaware, and it's a very, very, very profitable business that turns Delaware effectively into a financial services firm more than a state. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation with you, Hal Weitzman, and people interested in pursuing more answers to why, how, when can buy this book? 
What's the matter with Delaware? How the first state has favored the rich, powerful, and criminal, and how it costs us all. It's a great book to donate to your library, to be part of your neighborhood book club. It's just a lot of drama, a lot of corruption, a lot of challenge to us as citizens who believe in a strong democracy under the rule of law with fair play roaming the land from west to east and mm-hmm. north to south. Thank you very much, Hal Weitzman. Thank you very much. It has been a great pleasure and honor to speak with you. We've been speaking with Hal Weitzman. We will link to his book, What's the Matter with Delaware, at ralphnaderradiohour.com. And now let's check in with our corporate crime reporter, Russell Mokhyber. From the National Press Building in Washington, D.C., this is your Corporate Crime Reporter Morning Minute for Friday, June 30, 2023. I'm Russell Mokhyber. Doctors and nurses are raising questions about hospital giant HSA and the company's palliative and end-of-life care for patients. They say HSA officials press staff to persuade families of ailing patients to initiate such care. Although this can harm patients by withdrawing life-saving treatments, the push can benefit HSA in two ways, the doctors and nurses said. It reduces in-hospital mortality rates, a closely watched quality measure, and can free up a hospital bed more quickly for HSA, potentially generating more insurance reimbursements from a new patient. That's according to a report from NBC News. The report is based on interviews with six nurses and 27 doctors who currently practice at 16 HSA hospitals in seven states or did so previously. For the Corporate Crime Reporter, I'm Russell Mokhyber. Thank you, Russell. Welcome back to the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. I'm Steve Scroven, along with Hannah Feldman and Ralph. That's our show. I want to thank our guests again, Hal Weitzman. For those of you listening on the radio, that's our show. For you podcast listeners, stay tuned for some bonus material we call The Wrap-Up, featuring Francesco DeSantis. And in case you haven't heard, catch up on all the latest with Francesco. And a transcript of this program will appear on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour Substack site soon after the episode is posted. Subscribe to us on our Ralph Nader Radio Hour YouTube channel. And for Ralph's weekly column, it's free. Go to nader.org. For more from Russell Mokhyber, go to corporatecrimereporter.com. The American Museum of Tort Law has gone virtual. Go to tortmuseum.org to explore the exhibits, take a virtual tour, and learn about iconic tort cases from history. We have a new issue of the Capitol Hill Citizen out now. To order your copy of the Capitol Hill Citizen, Democracy Dies in Broad Daylight, go to capitolhillcitizen.com. And remember to continue the conversation after each show. Go to the comments section at ralphnaderradiohour.com and post a comment or question on this week's episode. The producers of the Ralph Nader Radio Hour are Jimmy Lee Wirt and Matthew Marin. Our executive producer is Alan Minsky. Our theme music, Stand Up, Rise Up, was written and performed by Kemp Harris. Our proofreader is Elizabeth Solomon. Our associate producer is Hannah Feldman. Our social media manager is Stephen Wendt. Join us next week on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, everybody. Hi, this is Jimmy Lee Wirt, and welcome to The Wrap-Up, where Ralph and Hal Weitzman have a less formal conversation. I have to tell you that, Ralph, we've actually spoken before. So first of all, I have to tell you that when I was about 16, I was heavily into a punk band from Manchester called Buzzcocks. Have you ever heard of the Buzzcocks? No. The Buzzcocks had a song that was kind of a minor hit called Fast Cars. And Fast Cars had a line. This was a song by a punk band against Fast Cars. And the song had a line, sooner or later, you're going to listen to Ralph Nader. So you were in <laughs> their song. I said, who the hell is this Ralph Nader guy? And then when I was a student, I went to work for Massperg, doing knocking door to door, asking for donations in around Boston. And then the fall, the autumn after that, I went to intern in Bernie Sanders' office. And you called and I answered the phone and I said to you, Ralph Nader, I just spent the summer working at Massburg, knocking doors, door to door, raising money and not being very successful at it. And you were very nice about it. And then I put you through to Bernie Sanders. This was in 1993. This was a while ago. Wow. Wow. How wonderful. Wonderful story. You know, we did this book that you mentioned, Company State. We didn't have the presence of mind to put the Delaware map there the way you did. It was very nice the way you did it. <laughs> Good. That was the publisher's idea, I think, actually. Oh. Do you know when we did that corporate state, we put it out in pre-publication form, and 
DuPont called up and said, can we have the pre-publication form, which we put out to the public, we put it out in mimeograph form before it was published. So we put it out. They wanted it as early as any reporter. They sent a limousine to our office in Washington and five guys got out. They bought five copies and they went back on the way to Wilmington. They divided the book into five sectors so it could be ready for the media onslaught. Oh, for the good old days. Imagine <laughs> good, that. Did you get any other feedback from DuPont apart from buying the book? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why they sold the two major papers they owned. Uh-huh. The book had quite an effect, actually. But that was in the good old days. If this book came out in 1972, it would have been a sensation. <laughs> but we live in a dead zone society. Well, I was born in 1972, so it would have been hard for me to get a book out. <laughs> That's no excuse. Excuses, excuses. And now it's time for Francesca DeSantis with In Case You Haven't Heard. The Lever reports that in Delaware, the company state, in a little town called Seaford, corporations may soon have the right to vote. The town has proposed an amendment to their charter granting LLCs, corporations, trusts, or partnerships suffrage in municipal elections. Claire Snyder-Hall, executive director of Common Cause Delaware, called this a, quote, shocking attempt to give artificial entities voting rights and characterized it as the, quote, flip side of voter suppression, end quote. This proposal would require the blessing of both houses of the Delaware legislature, and while unlikely to pass, the corporate control of the first state is so powerful that passage cannot be entirely counted out either. Senate Help Committee Chair Bernie Sanders has launched an investigation into safety at Amazon. Chairman Sanders wrote on Twitter, quote, If Amazon can afford to spend $6 billion on stock buybacks last year, it can afford to make sure its warehouses are safe. If Amazon can afford to pay its CEO $289 million over the past two years, it can afford to treat all of its workers with dignity and respect, not contempt, end quote. To further this investigation, the HELP Committee has launched an online portal allowing, quote, current or former workers, supervisors, medical staff, or anyone else in Amazon's warehouses to submit their stories of mistreatment. A troubling new report from the Governor's Highway Safety Association, GHSA, highlights the rise in pedestrian fatalities in recent years. According to the data, over 8,000 pedestrians were killed on U.S. roadways in 2022, more than double the number who were killed in 2010, and higher than any year since 1980. Regulators must take pedestrian safety as seriously as that of automobile drivers. Last Thursday, Indian Prime Minister and right-wing extremist Narendra Modi addressed Congress following his meeting with President Biden. A number of progressive Democrats boycotted the event, including Reps Summer Lee, Cory Bush, Ilhan Omar, Jamal Bauman, Rashida Tlaib, and AOC. In a joint statement issued by Bush and Bauman, the members wrote, quote, By bestowing Prime Minister Modi the rare honor of a joint address, Congress undermines its ability to be a credible advocate for the rights of religious minorities and journalists around the world. End quote. This from The Hill. People's Dispatch reports that the New York City Council has passed a resolution calling for the United States to end the blockade on Cuba. New York City now joins Washington, D.C. and Chicago in passing such resolutions. This resolution notes, quote, every year since 1992, the United Nations General Assembly has adopted a resolution declaring the embargo a violation of both the Charter of the United Nations and international law. In the recent Virginia primaries, reform prosecutors swept their respective elections per Bolts magazine. Steve Descano, Parisa Degnam Tafti, and Buta Bibaraj, prosecutors in Fairfax, Loudoun, and Arlington, each fended off primary challenges from the right, two of whom were endorsed by police unions, and a third who was backed by none other than the local Republican Party. The reform prosecutors trounced these regressive opponents by margins of 10 to 13 points. Tagani Tafti told the magazine, quote, if this election was a referendum on reform, our voters emphatically responded that they will not go backward. The Reykjavik grapevine reports that no whaling will occur in Iceland this summer following months of protest. Interestingly, the article notes that, quote, whaling is not a traditional practice in Iceland. Not only is Valer Af the one and only company in Iceland engaging in commercial whaling, it does so at a loss. 
Martin Ostermule of WAMU reports that Republicans in the House are once again seeking to meddle in the sovereign affairs of Washington, D.C. Riders in a draft spending bill promulgated by the GOP include banning reproductive rights legislation, reversing the legalization of marijuana, and other conservative priorities that would never get off the ground in the district. The major concern here is that spineless congressional Democrats will serve up D.C. on a silver platter in exchange for other Republican concessions. Just another reason D.C. statehood must be a top priority. A group of House Democrats sent a letter to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen calling on her to ease the sanctions regime imposed on Venezuela, NBC reports. The authors include Reps Joaquin Castro and Gregory Meeks, the ranking member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, along with progressives like Jim McGovern of Massachusetts and Barbara Lee of California. The letter described how sanctions, quote, have often been found to be ineffective in achieving their objectives and, quote, to purposefully continue contributing to economic hardship experienced by an entire population is immoral and unworthy of the United States, end quote. Hopefully, Secretary Yellen will heed these words. Finally, how much does a trash can cost? A new report in Responsible Statecraft highlights price gouging at the Pentagon, including a trash can sold to the Defense Department for $52,000. Must be one hell of a bin. This has been In Case You Haven't Heard. And that's a wrap. Join us next week on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour when we welcome patriotic millionaires Abigail Disney and Erica Payne. Until next time. Stand up, stand up. You've been sitting with.